Hey, and welcome to Foolproof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I am your host. Thanks so much for joining me again. I had a great couple of past episodes, and this episode is going to be really fun. Hopefully, I won't take too much of my guest's time, but I am really delighted to have uh, Josh Dahls on the show. He is the host of the Great Awakening Podcast, which is really clever, uh, clever title, if I do say so. And you can go check that out. Uh, but Josh, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. So Josh, it's been an interesting connection that I've made with you. Um, as some of my closest friends know, through the Twitter sphere, whatever you want to call it, there's all sorts of people you can follow and interact with. And there's been several threads that you've put out there uh, that, man, it was just like, I had to show my wife. I was like, this is just exactly how I'm feeling and seeing and sensing things are. And so I really appreciate Josh's engagement uh, on that platform, or at least the, the thoughts he shares. Um, some of those actually have to do with his own story. And so I wanted to start off with your story um, because one of your one of your threads that you put out there, which I know everybody kind of dunks on threads being a little bit uh, annoying and some of them should maybe be turned into blogs or article, but, but this one was really good. And I think it was on the evangelical elite. And I think it was kind of sharing your story. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had, um, I spent a lot of time um, actually working for a, a seeker-sensitive church and was, uh, I grew up, a pastor's kid, I grew up in evangelical world, you know, in the 90s and was very um, much, you know, in youth group during purity culture and, and a, a lot of the things that a lot of uh, kind of evangelical elites are embarrassed about now. So I get it. I, I get all of that. Um, I, that's where I come from. And when I graduated or when I went to college, I found a seeker-sensitive church that kind of threw off all of that, you know, stuff that I was embarrassed about, you know, the stuff that oh, I don't want to invite my friends to church because it's embarrassing. And I just, I, I, it was like a revelation to me. Like, oh, this is it. This is amazing. This is a way to do church that doesn't make us look silly or stupid or backwards. Hmm. And so I, I, I went all in on the seeker-sensitive movement, um, uh, ended up working, um, my wife and I both working for a large uh, secret sensitive church. And we're all about, um, you know, making church services relevant and, you know, the rock and roll music, you know, to open the service with and, and, and everything. So that was our, um, that was our story. And, and, you know, just uh, in the thread that you're referring to, I just talk about how I came to see um, just how that, uh, that way of approaching uh, evangelism just was not healthy, at least in, in my own life, um, you know, to the point where, you know, I would regularly um, kind of throw other Christians under the bus uh, as, as a, as if they were an obstacle to evangelism. Like uh, one of the things I mentioned in the thread is we would have, you know, bad Christian movie nights and invite our non-Christian friends to, and we'd rip on Christian movies. Like, and granted, there's a lot of really cheesy Christian movies, but as a, as a way of evangelism, it, it just, you know, I, I became really convicted about that over time that, man, that's, these are part of the church that, that Christ died for. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I see them as an obstacle to winning people. Yeah, it's an odd thing to do. And I think I've seen that, whether you call the missional movement, a version of seeker sensitive or not, I've seen that even what I would call the missional movement, which, which kind of prides itself on like, we're, we're different. We're not, mm -hmm. you know, we're not like those Christians. And so they're yeah. very eager to portray an image. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I think it's done with some noble intentions that, you know, we're not like them. So they, some secular people have a conception of Christians. Like I was just watching a movie, There Will Be Blood last week. I, actually, it was a horrible choice. I watched it on an airplane like in the morning and it was like so depressing. <laughs> but in the movie, they have this kind of cult figure versus Daniel Day-Lewis. And I think that cult figure really epitomizes what a lot of secular people think of Christians, which is kind mm -hmm. of these wild haired, kind of crazy egomaniac greedy uh people and so i think for a lot of pastors evangelists or just christians in general they're very eager to say well i'm not that 
And so in order to show you I'm not that, I'm going to make fun of the things you associate with Christian culture. And so there's kind of this this uh, diminishment of Christian culture within a lot of pastoral thinking where Christian culture is kind of despised and -hmm. and looked down upon. And and like you said, I get it. I grew up in a mega church in the South. So lots of left behind, uh, lots of like Bible man and Bible drills and and just the whole power team. (laughs) Yeah. The whole shebang. Uh, So I get it. But man, what I would give for my kids to get some of that, in, in the context I'm in, you know, just like, yeah. I, I'll want us. That would be awesome yeah. at this point, you know? And it's, it's super sad to me to see um, evangelical leaders like rejoicing at the the downfall of Christian culture. You know, I'm not sure what they expect the alternative to be. Like if suddenly you tear down that people are going to come rushing to the, the church. Like, no, I've, I feel like the Christian culture as cheesy and as, weird as it could be sometimes had a preservative effect for many years that, um, you know, I'm grateful that I grew up in. For sure. Me too. And I, for you, you were out in LA, you mm-hmm. moved out there and were you helping with a church plant or were you part of a church plant? Yeah. So we moved out there. Um, I moved my family out there with my brother, uh, pursuing a career in filmmaking and God had other purposes for us out there. We ended up starting a church in North Hollywood with uh, some dear friends. And um, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool, but it, it was very much part of um, following that same model, that, that kind of missional model of like, we're in the city. We love the city, uh, you know, very much um, probably Tim Keller inspired, you know, run to the cities and if, if people are in cities and if you love people, then you love cities, that really? kind of mentality. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it was all, I love everybody that was involved with that. It was very well-intentioned. And I think, you know, there's a very real um, concern for evangelism that I think we can learn from the missional movement. And I, I see a lot of people tear it down, but, there is some really positive uh, elements uh, that have come from it. Um, But over time, you know, I began to see we would, we'd kind of hide the difficult things. It's not that we did, we denied the truth of scripture. It's that we don't talk about that. You know, it's kind of like Bruno. You just, (laughs) we don't talk about it. Um, and we would see it over you know our the pastor of that church would do a um about once a year every 18 months he'd do a series on biblical sexuality hmm. and every time that happened we'd have people that were horrified to learn that they they had been attending a church that is not lgbt affirming right and it 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 just began to really bother me that like why are we why are we hiding this? And it, it was always the same thing. It's not like they would suddenly get to that message and then, oh yeah, you know what? I'm they, the past 18 months with this church have convinced me that they're right and I should consider this. No, it's they always get mad and leave. And <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure what this, this winsome posture and downplaying with the, you know, whispering about sexual sin is, is accomplishing. Right. And, um, you know, it just, it began to be really um, sad to see so many people that we loved and were in community with just begin to kind of deconstruct their faith um, as they embraced social justice. That's kind of a, that was kind of the catalyst for starting my podcast, just seeing so many people that we knew and loved just head down that social justice path to deconstruction. And I don't know. Yeah, it's. It's a big deal. I mean, this is a common tactic in church planning where the the Keller approach is you float an A doctrine on a B doctrine or something to that effect, where what you're trying to do is intentionally obscure the hard truth with something that's more like agreeable to people in the hopes that they'll one day they'll agree with it. But oftentimes, now that's an interesting ideological and philosophical approach. Like we could we could tease that out and look at look at the scriptures and see maybe there's places in the scriptures where that's employed but to use that as kind of your boilerplate strategy and your go-to 
in your tool belt, it just seems to not have the effect uh, that they intend. They, they intend, a lot of church planners intend for it to set a table and let people kind of come to the table and like, look, we all have common ground. And I look like personally, that's a beautiful vision. Like, yeah, like there's, we have a lot in common and you'll get uh, organizations like Braver Angels or some other organizations that are trying to kind of reimagine this uh, kind of liberal ethos where we all have common ground and we can unite around certain core principles. Also like, you know, in service of what, in service of what, maybe we should, maybe we should be louder on certain core doctrines and that's going to, uh, I don't know. I was, I was talking about it with Kim yesterday, my wife yesterday. And I was like, you know, we, we could wait to talk about some of this stuff with people from the stage and even interpersonally, there's some people where you're like, I'm going to take a longer approach. I'm not going to lead with, with this kind of stuff. But if we do that for the flock, there's Christians there that need to be fed from the word of God on core truths of Christianity. And if we obscure the hard stuff because we're trying to win the lost and therefore we don't feed the sheep on these core issues, then I think we're actually the, uh, the net gain, if we so, so to speak is 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 a loss mm-hmm. because these christians are getting caught up in all this stuff while we are trying to win the lost which is, which is a good desire but we're not feeding the sheep with core truths and so you you're going to have to pick you know are you going to say from the stage what christians believe about marriage you could say it in the most you know authentic convictional and sincere way but it's still gonna like it just is what it is and you have to equip the sheep and you have to feed the sheep, I should say. And if, if you're, if you're feeding the sheep, that will offend some of the goats, you know, and there's yeah. just no way around it. Yeah. And, and, and what ends up happening is pastors are modeling how, how um, the people in the, in the pews are, are going out into their workplace and, and handling these issues. And so it's like, it becomes, you know, it ha- it's not just like that environment. It's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, um, you know, people are taking that kind of approach out into the real world and it just it waters down kind of what we believe. And then, it, then you're left with this kind of really high level, basic, you know, Christianity, just Jesus. And don't worry about that other stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, it's a pared down version of Christianity, which really is a survival attempt that just won't, it, it's not going to go well. And so it's really, yeah. really sad. Um, this kind of gets into uh, the second topic, which is, uh, and, I, and I don't want to jump over too much of your story because I, I really do enjoy hearing people's stories and where they're coming from. So go to LA. I want to talk about the idea of relational evangelism. Would you say relational evangelism was was kind of, the ethos of that approach or, or I guess maybe help me understand what is relational evangelism? Sure. Um, in my understanding, relational evangelism is the idea that uh, you don't want to be too forceful. You want to take time to build relationships, to live a good life in, um, you know, with Christian ethics, love your neighbor. And that eventually someone will notice that and ask you what's different about you. And for years, that was that was my go-to strategy because I'm an introvert. I don't, you know, no one likes to have those hard conversations. There's very few people who are really gifted at direct evangelism. They'll, you know, knock on the doors. Hey, do you know Jesus? And I thank God for those people. They're they're great. So, but a re- relational evangelism was just very appealing to me. In that, okay, yep, I can do that. I can be in these secular spaces. I can live out my faith in a way that hopefully people will see and one day ask. And just, you know, for me, after decades of trying that approach, I just had to reevaluate and like, is this really working? Is this doing anything? I don't feel like no one's ever done that, that, that end goal of like, hey, what's different about you? Can you tell me about Jesus? Right. And I think I found, at least in my life, um, there, there may be others who are successful at, you know, seeing those opportunities and taking them. 
in my life, it had become a crutch for um, evangelism hard. I don't want to be in uncomfortable situations. So yeah, I'm just doing relational evangelism and then checking that box and I'm good. And so I've, you know, I, I think it was, I, I, I really think that's when my Twitter began to take off is when I just, I stopped trying to kind of hide the fact that I'm a Christian and not that I ever really truly hit it, but I'd be more bold with, you know, sharing doctrine and sharing, you know, what I'm thinking about, you know, certain uh, biblical teachings and stuff and just, you know, being more open with those conversations with people. Yeah. And I'm afraid to, to take that. Yeah. People generally, enjoy that kind of relationship more honestly is what i've discovered in evangelism is that for for i i adopted the same style and i didn't have a category for it was there a thinker that promoted relational evangelism or something you know i'm, I'm sure there there was for me it's just something i kind of picked up over the years uh, okay. all my time in evangelical spaces but i tell you one of the interesting things a turning point in that for me um as I really began to think about this the last couple of years, um, we went to, we were at the, um, the pool, the summer of uh, 2020 when all the COVID stuff was happening and talking with a neighbor about COVID restrictions and stuff. And she was telling us, you know, upset that people weren't masking and, and stuff. And I'm thinking relational evangelism. I don't need to, argue. I don't need to tell her what I think. So I just kind of nod and smile and go along. And then that same day we were at um, a baseball game or, or something. Um, so maybe a bit, it might've been a little bit later when things had picked back up, but um, was talking to another guy who just flat out told me, you know, what he thought about masks and mandates and stuff and how he hated them. And I, it struck me that like, both of these people are not believers and they were not afraid to tell me what they thought <laughs> about something. And I'm, I'm, I'm being a chameleon with both of these people because I'm, I want to be evangelistic. Like how that I'm basing my entire approach to evangelism on a falsehood of this, milk toast version of me that doesn't have strong opinions on things because I want you to ask me about Jesus. It's like, right. no. Okay. The guy at the, the baseball field, he needs Jesus. The, the woman at the, the pool, she needs Jesus. And I can't have, you know, I, I can't be one thing for one person and one thing for another person. Like the Holy spirit, if he's, if you know, God's working in their lives, I've got to have a, an actual relationship with them and I need to be my actual self and not live by lies of, you know, just trying to tell people what they want to hear. It's like, if I'm ever going to have a real relationship with people, I have to be myself. I have to tell them what I actually think. And right. I trust that the Holy spirit is going to use that to, you know, open those doors. Absolutely. And I think you touched on something really quickly that, um, a lot of people use to justify this approach. And and I want to be clear, like this can be approach you employ. Like I, these, they can be one tool in a tool belt. But when you look at the scriptures and you hear Paul say, I became all things to all people, something to that effect. A lot of people who employ relational evangelism, they're like, see, we got to be able to become all things to all people. Well, that's not a justification for hiding what we believe, becoming a chameleon and just reducing Christianity to some kind of sales pitch. Um mm -hmm. And, and I found it so dissatisfying when I was, uh, you know, as we we're church planting and I'm like, well, these people believe really different things than me. And so I, I stayed curious and stayed in the space and like stayed relationally connected. But all the while, I feel like really frustrated because I'm hiding my convictions about stuff. Man, it was so much more fun when I finally was like, man, I don't think like that. And here's what I think about it. My friend, Matt, who's my co-pastor, he, he's, a, he's very skilled at this and doing it in a way that's if we were to redeem the word winsome or whatever biblical, I think there's probably be biblical words I'd rather use, but he does this really well. And, uh, and so I've learned a lot from him on this because he does the relational evangelism that a lot of people want to do. He employs it in a really genuine way where he can like share, you know, what he actually thinks about it's COVID or whatever else. And what we're going to find 
is as the as what it, whether you call it tyranny totalitarianism kind of like uh just the state as a whole statism as it becomes more metastasized and hardened there's going to be less things that if you approach relationships and evangelism as relational evangelism you're going to feel squished out more and more and more and more and christianity is going to get pared down into this like just very simplistic thing not a worldview not a comprehensive faith but just like yeah but jesus and we're just going to stop sharing our thoughts on things and i think a lot of pastors are are adopting that strategy if i say something about what i think about covid well first of all that's not what i'm not an expert and then secondly, somebody's going to be offended. And so I guess I'm not going to say anything. And it's like, man, that's, I don't, I just don't think that's a fun way to live. I don't think that's a God honoring way to live. And I don't think that's helping people in the end. I think it's yeah. actually allowing a lot of the stuff to keep going. And I think you're missing out on true connections between people. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that a moment of friendship is born is when one person says to the other, Oh, what you two, you know, when you recognize that common, you know, alignment you have. And I think a lot of, a lot of Christians have somehow picked up the idea that everyone outside the faith is a um, radical leftist. And so we have to kind of hide what we might believe politically and on COVID and all this stuff because we have to appeal to what the, the left, you know, believes. And I think we, we miss the fact that there are plenty of people to our right that need Jesus. And there's, there's, there's people with all sorts of beliefs out there that need Jesus. And God is going to use each one of us to, you know, connect with, with to build those relationships. Absolutely. I think of Paul and, and uh, Ephesus and you've got, I can't remember who was in charge of the idol market, who kind of like was the main guy who uh, mm -hmm. was upset. Well, if Paul went into that town and his main, his only goal was to win that guy, kind of the most extreme, you know, idol maker. He is, he mm -hmm. is the epicenter. Then he might've taken a different approach, but instead he goes for maximal impact. You know, how McKenna reached the most people well, it's decrying and tearing down these idols. Well, guess what? That's not going to win the idol maker himself. The right. idol maker is going to start a riot and try to kill you. And mm -hmm. so there's this idea where if we go for the most uh, opposite of us and we kind of have this, oh, winsome kind of like, um, I want to use the word soft approach to evangelism and kind of a hidden approach, then somehow it'll be better for everyone. And I, I just don't, I don't see that being the case. Um, you know, the other day you tweeted out, and I think you got a lot of grief for it, like the faithful presence model has been an absolute failure or something like that. Uh, and, and you know, I tend to agree with you. I, I read To Change the World. I was recommending that. It's still, I mean, I still recommend it to people. It's a, it's a really helpful way to, uh, to get people curious about cultural engagement in an in a interesting way. And I, I think I embrace the faithful presence model goes along with re relational evangelism because it's like if I'm just in the spaces, if I can get in these institutions, then eventually somebody's going to ask me about Jesus or I'll just be a faithful presence within it. And that's going to lead to cultural change. Well, I'm not seeing it. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but by and large, a lot of these people that have adopted like Francis Collins or others, it just doesn't seem to have the effect they want. So then we mm -hmm. have to go, why, you know, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to live differently? Um, and these are, this, this is really hard. This is why I like talking to you as someone you, you, you know, you thought about going to seminary. You didn't go to seminary. You, you're not a pastor. You're just an, a normal guy. You're a Christian who's just trying to process out loud. Here's what I'm seeing. Uh, here's how I've experienced these kind of cultures in the church and these kind of approaches. And uh, you're providing some pushback. So I think that's really great. Yeah. And I do want to point out, I, I put faithful in, <laughs> in quotes in that tweet. Because uh, I think that really is the... You know, if we're going to be in these spaces, and I think we should, I'm not calling for a, you know, the the worst caricature of uh, Rod Dreher's, you know, retreat, you know, which I don't believe Rod is saying that, but that's what people um, think a lot of times. I'm not calling for full cultural retreat. I think we should be in these spaces. Right. I just think we need to 
really think hard about what it means to be faithful in these spaces. Right. Um, and I think I, I talked about it. It might've been the, the other tweet, but I've seen so many people in high position in, that seem to be accruing all this cultural capital that one day they're going to use, but not yet. Right. <laughs> that day's going to come, but it's not today. It's not this fight. And right. I just, we've got to have a better way of evaluating and determining when, when is it right to cash that in and say, nope, can't go along with this. I can't right. just sit by while this is happening. And I think you're right. It takes the Holy Spirit kind of leading us. And I think, you know, the way you just described it makes me think of a lot. I think a lot of Christians are waiting kind of for that big reveal, you know, where it's like, now I'm in a powerful position. Now, listen, ta-da, like, yeah. I'm a Christian. And it's like, oh, <laughs> what? No, you tricked us. And it's like, you know, why is that the goal? Why is the goal to trick people? Like, um, now, to get practical, like, I have one guy in my church who I was talking with on the phone last week, and He's going to join a board, a nonprofit board in the town. It's, it may, may be bigger than the town, um, but it's something he's passionate about. But it's, it's very secular. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an organization to de dedicated to Jesus, you know, and they're going to put out statements that he doesn't agree with. And he knows this. And so his question was, one, should I join it in the first place? And two, what should I do when I get in that space? And so my encouragement to him was like, if they'll have you, which they're saying they want you, join it. And then when they try to release a statement, say no. Like it's really not, I mean, like, I, I know it's that seems really simplistic, but at the end of the day, like if you can if you can get your foot in the door and you can, you know, uh have relationships with people that are that don't believe in Jesus and you can help shape an organization, get in there. But when you sense like, hey, there, this is a contra-creational, contra-Christian, anti-Christian approach to these matters, whether it's matters of justice or environment or whatever it is, you should say something. And if they say, well, we're going to do it anyways and say, okay, cool, I'm going to resign. Like, and move on. Like, yeah. I know that sounds really dumbed down, but like, I don't know why it's so complicated. Right. Yeah. I think Aaron Wren has talked about his um, three... Uh, three uh, negative world, neutral world and, and positive world. Yeah. <clears throat> I think he wrote about it in first things, but we are, we are solidly in hostile negative world now. And I right. think that that kind of, you know, faithful presence where I'll, I'll just be there and hopefully rub off on, on people is, you know, we're not in that world anymore. We're in a world where, you know, these organizations are going to be making statements that are hostile and are bad for people and that the loving the way we love our neighbors is by opposing what these organizations are doing and it's yeah, christians have become soft it's like we we have to find that backbone to stand up and say no i can't go along with that and if it's going to cost me my job if it's going to cost me re my reputation so be it and uh believe me i know that's not that's not easy. That's, but I think that's the state of the world we're in, and we, we really need pastors, and evangelical leaders to start, you know, discipling people and and helping people to think through these issues. Absolutely. There's kind of three things that I've discovered in ministry that have really helped put uh, flesh on the bones of what we're talking about. Uh, three suggestions we've tried to help people with in our church who, like when we planted, we were solid, we weren't solidly, and we didn't even know the word relational evangelism, but that, that was kind of our approach, faithful witness, relational evangelism. And what we sense is like, gosh, we're not reaching people. Like we're not, we don't seem to be like, like we're loving our neighbor, like we're serving our city and we're making some connections and that's cool. But there are three questions that really, if, if you like put your, your finger on a pressure point, you know, if you like identify the tension and it was this, when was the last time you offered to pray for a coworker? like to their face or to text them and be like, Hey, can I pray for you about that? Or what can I pray for you about? And that's outing yourself as someone who, you know, I'm a praying yeah. person in Christian, maybe in Southern Christian culture, that's more normal, but out here it's like, Oh, like, yeah, like I'm not just sending good vibes into the universe. Like I want to pray yeah. to the living God. The other one was, Hey, you should come to church with me this weekend. It's really great. Like it's a really simple, like invitation. 
you don't have to say I'm a Christian, therefore I believe all these things and I'm against what you stand. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about really simple bids, invitations. And the third one was, uh, and this was really interesting to watch people react this way. It wasn't supposed to be just to get people to react, but it really highlighted it is we, we're a church that planted with a solidly like missional posture. We didn't have some, you know, big launch. There were no flyers. There was no advertising. It was, I mean, looking back, it was really dumb, but, uh, we finally like, we're like, Hey, you know, we can get a good deal on door hangers. And, uh, and so we're going to print out some door hangers. And in Boulder, we had kind of spurned that idea because a lot of people hate the idea of a door hanger. And it's kind of like being afraid of the radical left. It's like some, some people are going to get upset that you're using paper. Right. And they're going to be like, you don't care about the environment. And so we had kind of bowed to that critique. And then we were like, you know what? Forget it. Let's just, let's just try it. And so we did it. But a lot of our people were really uncomfortable with that because we were saying, we want you to go out and prayer walk in our town. And we want you to hang door hangers, invite people to church. And then if you see those people, if you knock on the door, we'd love for you to have a gospel conversation. And our people were like, whoa, what are you saying? <laughs> like, that is not our style. That's not our vibe here. We are supposed to be kind of this hey, like, we're not going to say too many things offensive. We're going to blend in. We're not going to draw attention to ourselves. And so it was that was pre-2016. That was 2014, 2015, I think, when we started trying to do that. But I watched people kind of get really uncomfortable. I had some really good conversations, and I really think they were good. Like, we encouraged people to start wearing shirts. that, Like, we printed out shirts that had our church's name on them. And, and we were like, hey, when you go to the farmer's market, like, throw on a shirt of your church. Like, And our people were like, that's weird, though. And I was like, but why though? <laughs> like, why? You would wear any other shirt. And it's just an interesting way to start conversations. But just these little things that really helped push our people to a place. And I don't want to push for the sake of pushing. Some people just aren't there yet. They're not ready. Maybe they're actually baby Christians are more eager to do this stuff. It's the ones yeah. that have been incubated in the secret system model that that take a little time to warm up to it. And not everyone's called with the same gifting to be, you know, out there and and uh all about it but if we don't have that tool in our tool belt i think we're missing out on something for sure yeah yeah what were the what was the first uh question it was hey how can i pray for you yeah that see that's that's such a a normal part of christian life that we should be easy for us you know yeah. if we really believe that our prayers are going up to the living god yeah we should be eager to do that. That should be like, that's good. I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Just to a coworker. Hey, can I pray? I did that with, it was on like, I, this is a confession of mine. I'm a pastor. And I was saying that to my neighbors and I felt uncomfortable because I'd been so trapped in this model and it felt so freeing to just kind of be like, Hey, like I'm a pastor. I live on your street. I'd love to pray for you because that's what Christians do. And that's a, at least what pastors do. <laughs> and so it's just a really simple question to ask people. Um, so those were kind of a couple of topics that I've really wanted to dialogue with you about. Uh, but one took off recently and it kind of gets into more of cultural uh, matters, but gosh, this is, it's, it's a really dense topic and you know, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you kind of put out a thread on, schools public education what's going on with education we're seeing it in our town we've had families move away because our school district is pushing uh gender ideology in classrooms and in elementary schools they're having you know organizations come in and, and do certain plays on sexual identity to elementary schools and so this is something that i've been thinking about for a few years and really it seems like recently it's come to a head with like leah thomas and swimming and kind of exposing some of the transgender ideology. And I think trans is finally a, a cultural tipping point for a lot of people where they're like, yeah, I'm done now. Like Obergefell, they could kind of like, for a lot of like kind of normie American non-Christians, it was like, well, you know, love is love. And then like trans comes along and it's like, what? <laughs> like, this is not the same. Um, and there's, there's a word that's being thrown around. It's kind of an in-house debate. And this is idea of grooming public schools, grooming uh, kids, you know. And so um, there's some Christians that believe, you know, we shouldn't use that word because it's, you know, uh, it's either insulting or demeaning or not truly what's happening. But I think you you kind of put out a thread that was clarifying. So I wanted you to share that kind of kind of rehash kind of some of your thinking and what you're seeing on this topic. Sure. Yeah, that um, 
that thread was in response to a meme that um, had been going around that the, the right uh, people on the right had been sharing anytime, you know, you know, somebody would post a libs of TikTok teacher saying something crazy. Um, and the meme was just the Simpsons bus driver saying, don't make me tap the sign. And then on the I zoomed in on the sign, it says, it's simple. It's not rocket science. They're just evil and they want to diddle kids. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and just a warning, if you listen to my podcast with kids in the car, this may be a point at which you, you may want to just save this for later. Uh, I was I listen to podcasts and I, I have to like even uh, the morning wire. I'll listen to that with my kids in the car. And some episodes I'm like, even Al Mohler's podcast, I'm like, I'm not going to do this today. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a warning to my listeners. But yeah, that is the meme. You can you can say that. Okay, so I, you know, I, the thread that I wrote was kind of in response to that, just explaining that while that's a very clever meme, it it applies certainly applies to a lot of like the lives of TikTok people who are clearly not right in the head uh, or just plain evil, right? Um, it doesn't ex- fully explain like the the entire leftist agenda. And so in the thread, I just kind of unpack how it's not just about diddling kids. It's about ide- ideologically grooming your kids. Like it, it goes all the way back to um, Paolo Freire as a guy who in the 60s who applied critical theory to education and um, came up with critical pedagogy. And he wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And in that, he talks about the entire goal of education should be to awaken a critical consciousness in students. And to do that, they want to tear down the bond between parents and their children. So they, they recognize that we are handing our kids over to this institution for the bulk of their week and they they know that's a, a golden opportunity to tear down those bonds and instill them with a leftist ideology and make them into little social justice warriors because they really they believe you know the children are the future and if we if they can get the kids then they can they you know bring in their Marxist revolution and so uh, I think the thing that really was like a light bulb moment for me and and it seems to be why the the um the thread took off so so much is just it it, it kind of clicked for me how uh the critical race theory in schools and the radical gender ideology were connected okay so the critical race theory is often what's the the first thing that's introduced into a lot of classrooms just this idea that you know uh, if you're white, that you uh, are have inherited all of this privilege and that has been stolen from people of color, and you bear some, you know, some sort of some form of guilt for all of the privilege that you've inherited. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in the thread, I explain how that is tearing down students, and that's give that's basically placing on them a a a, a bad identity. You are bad because of these inherited attributes that you were born with. And then the uh, gender ideology, which is um, properly called queer theory, it's it's just another branch of critical theory. It comes in and offers like a wide range of positive identities that the kids can step into. And suddenly they're no longer the bad oppressor. They're a celebrated victim of, of, you know, gender oppression or whatever, queer oppression. Right. And so uh, they become celebrated. And the, once this identity, you know, the reason why the left is, is so insistent on talking to kids about this is so that they can give them this new identity that is at odds with what they're hearing at home. That's why they don't want to tell the, the you know, they want to keep it secret. They don't want to let the the parents know about what's happening so that once this identity is firmly planted, that they have this manufactured, you know, rift between 
the parents. So either with the goal of either separating that bond completely or what we see often is the parents become an ally. So mm -hmm. either way, they're getting little revolutionaries. They're, they're either getting the kid and the parent or the kid separated from the parent. Right. And, you know, it's there's no other word for that other than than grooming. Yeah. And, and and it's not it's not that they they want to that everyone wants to molest children, but that environment that that uh, secrecy of keeping things from the parents is creating an environment where predators are drawn to and predators are taking advantage of. So it's yeah. really just it's super insidious and very uh, very alarming. And I'm yeah. really grateful that parents seem to be waking up to it and, and recognizing it for sure i mean i don't know what you would call uh i mean i'm sure there's other words but it kind of a predatory approach to letting kids not not letting that would be permissive but in almost indoctrinating encouraging kids having secret closets that they can change into and adopt a new identity at school uh you know it's interesting when i think about it from a christian education approach because I sent my kids to a, a local Christian school. Um, and I think about how we want to raise up kids and strong kids in the faith. And to me, education is always about discipleship and formation. And so I think that the critical race theory, queer theory, kind of what you described, it's, it's taking advantage of a bunch of naivete regarding kind of the liberal order. Mm -hmm. And that somehow we can have this neutral kind of educational approach where it's just, just math and reading, which I think you can have. And that, that was possible. And so I think that what they're touching on, what they're taking advantage of is a bit of naivete because all education is meant to be formational. And God wants us that wants that education to be formational unto his glory and for his purposes. And so that people will know him. Does that mean we shouldn't educate people who have not professed faith or aren't Christians? No, but I think there's there's something interesting in there that they're getting at and they're taking advantage of where I think Christians need to be strong, which is that educational is designed to disciple kids and they're doing that, but they're doing mm -hmm. it in a, in a wicked predatory manner that if you're talking with a six-year-old about sex, you know, that is that is grooming them in a certain direction. And, and mm -hmm. that word is typically associated with somebody who's grooming people for sexual abuse or pedophilia or whatever it is. But like, that is what that is. It's like, there's just not a, a way around it. What's some of the pushback that you've seen, some of the critical, critical engagement on this concept that you've seen where it's like, well, we shouldn't use that word. What, what are people saying? I think, um, yeah, what I'm seeing most often is that, it, somehow that that is the insinuation is that everyone on the left is a pedophile. And, you know, that's what my thread attacked head on. Like, I don't think everyone on the left is a pedophile. I think, I think empathy is being weaponized to create situations where pedophiles can uh, take advantage of. And I think, um, but it's still there's uh, there's still no other word that properly uh, i don't know that i i still think it's the right word to use um because you can groom someone you know they talk about grooming someone to be a political candidate it, it's okay. just preparing someone okay for something and i think um yeah if someone has a better word i'm i'm up for it but they, it seems to be a smart strategical uh strategic move because the left is very upset <laughs> about yeah it. for sure and it's not just to get them riled up it's putting your finger on something because as we normal normalize talking with six-year-olds about sex and all these kind of things that go along with that that you're seeing come out in classrooms what you're seeing is the normalization of pedophilia as a yeah. like the the conversations regarding that that is the normalization. That is how they're going to go. And that's what I keep trying to tell people is like, 
there was an interesting clip uh, yesterday. Dennis Prager was on the Bill Meyer show uh, 2019, oh, yeah. and he was talking about transsexuals and and how men can uh, menstruate and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's laughing at him like, that's insane. Nobody's saying that. That's not where it's going to go. And it's like, that's where we are today. And yeah. that's how I feel on the issue of pedophilia is like, that's, <clears throat> that's right. <clears throat> that's the path we're on. And so mm-hmm. this, this kind of grooming, it's, it is the right word to use in my estimation because what we're seeing is the normalization of it. And that's how they're yeah. going to justify it later is there. Well, and if you <clears throat> go ahead, if, if you look at the, the papers that they write in queer theory, they like attack head on the, the whole idea of childhood innocence. Yeah. Like critical theory divides people into oppressed and oppressor groups. And they really believe that children are an oppressed group. And so the whole idea of childhood innocence, they would say, is a, an attempt to keep children oppressed. And that they are, they would say they're sexual beings. They, they believe that every child should be assumed to be queer from as default. And so they, the, the whole, and this is how they get otherwise good teachers to go along with this is by these, these stories of, oh, these queer kids trapped in homes that are not supportive. And so we just need to be able to talk to them. So they have a safe space to talk to you know, a safe adult to talk to because at home they're being abused, they're being oppressed at home. And, and it is, we got to help parents wake up and realize, you know, you, you've got to be involved in these discussions with your school. Um, you know, I'm, we personally homeschool, I'm not a, a hard line, you know, parents have to homeschool, but parents do have a responsibility to, be involved in their child's education. Like that's our responsibility, especially dads, you know, in Ephesians that is given directly to the dad to raise your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if you can do that by delegating that, that uh, education to someone else, that's great. But you have a responsibility to know that the people educating your, your kids are doing, are not working against the discipleship you're trying to do at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, to kind of round it out and connect it back to the other topics we were discussing, I think this is where it really, uh, you start to feel great tension if you're a Christian and you're listening to this or you're a pastor and you're thinking, if I speak on this stuff, people are going to think I'm not a loving person or people are going to perceive me to be a bigot or like those people that have been in my church that are like lost and like, you know, I've been having gospel conversations with a little bit, but like, I'm still like, I'm not coming out and saying like what what's going on and and i just want you to think about the parent in your in your um, audience if you're preaching you got one parent whose kid is going through this and being indoctrinated and then you've got a 20 year old who's coming out of the closet they've been a christian their whole life <clears throat> and you've got one and and you got that person and then you've got the parent whose kids are suffering kind of under this ideology in public schools Dude, that's a that's a hard needle to thread, mm-hmm. but you got to try something because right now the 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 neutral world strategy was, well, they'll figure it out and we'll talk about it offline. That'll be a pastoral counseling issue, but we really want to make sure that she feels welcome here. Mm-hmm. That the the girl who's thinking about coming out or the non Christian who's in the audience, we got to make sure they don't run away because it's most important that we save their soul. And this other stuff on Christian education and like pushing back darkness and like speaking out on this stuff, attending school board meetings and like that kind of stuff, that's going to turn them off. They're going to think we're just like either religious right or bigots or don't love people. And I think that's where the rubber really hits the road for people. It's like, you got to make a choice. And I, I, me personally, that's what I'm doing with pastors in my life is I'm saying like, you need to start taking a stand. You need to start using your voice and you know, you don't have to get on Twitter or anything. Uh, God help you if you do, but at least like in your preaching and teaching ministry, uh, as you're organizing classes for your church, as you're thinking mm-hmm. about discipleship curriculum, these should be issues that you're push, pushing on educationally to, yeah. to to help people think critically. Yeah. And it, one of the things that as a result of um, having this thread go so viral is I've got people sending me their stories in my DMs just to like, 
this is exactly what happened to my daughter. And wow. just, it's just like, this is not just, you know, culture war, you know, hysterics. This is like real people are getting caught up in this and like, you know, forever damaged by this, yep. you know, even if they managed to, to come out and detransition, like their bodies are still scarred for life. They never have kids, you know, it, it's, it's tragic. And at some point, like you're saying, you've got to decide like, who, who are you? Who I know we're called to love everyone, but that doesn't mean that we, I think we need to rethink, you know, think deeply about what it means to love that person who is, you know, we don't want to offend by going hard on this stuff, Yep. you know, because you're, you're neglecting a whole lot of damage that's being done to, you know, our most vulnerable yep for sure well i i really enjoyed talking with you i love i love uh kind of our interactions online and i always want interactions online that i enjoy to lead to kind of more uh face-to-face interactions so i i really appreciate you coming on the pod and spending time sharing your thoughts and your perspective on things if you want to follow uh josh is the best way to do that get on get on twitter it is i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i don't think he's uh he's private or anything like that. So you can find him on Twitter. Um, you can also go to, uh, you know, podcasts and find him on the great awakening. Uh, you've got a, are, are you doing a regular kind of programming there? Like uh, once a month, what, what's your schedule there? Uh, I'm, I'm really bad about getting them out, but I'm trying to do it more regularly. I've got one coming out this next, uh, this next week. So, okay. That's great. And it, I, whenever I listen to yours, I'm like, wow, he's so articulate and careful with what he says. I'm, I'm just like, you know, a little bit uh, like, whoa, and Josh is very, very thoughtful. And so when I listen to your podcast, I really enjoy it because you're saying things at a level that is accurate, helpful, instructive, and thorough. And that's the kind of material that I think more people need to be exposed to. So go check out and subscribe. So that way, when he does drop his episode, it's right up there at the top. Um, and just for those of you who are listeners on my podcast, you know, if you can like this, share this, give us a great rating. Um, you know, my heart, as I've kind of talked about in the episode is to have conversations on these matters with people. So whether it's Christians in your life, non-Christians in your life, uh, your family, I'd love for this to hear that this podcast started a conversation and then I can always use your help, uh, to kind of further the mission of having these conversations. So if you head over to Patreon, I'll put that link in the description, head over to Patreon, sign up there. Um, any amount helps me kind of produce this episode and and, uh, get these people on the show and keep having great connections and conversations so thanks so much and we'll see you next time